Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fence side. It ain't the left side or the right side. Good morning, Dolphins fans. Welcome to another episode here of On the Fence Side with Kat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as the finfanatic.com website and the fan sided network. Uh, we've got a little bit to cover here this morning. Um, obviously, no football going on. Super Bowl is tomorrow. Um, and have some news. You know, uh, Mike McDaniel introduced. We'll get into that at his press conference. No Zach Thomas in the Hall of Fame again. Um, there are some coaches going, some coaches staying. And at the end here, Paul and I are going to dip our toe into the draft water here and talk about five players that we are eyeing in the NFL draft here early in the process. So, Paul, first and foremost, Mike McDaniel at his press conference, uh, you know, certainly a different type of head coach than we're used to, uh, one that we both wanted here. Uh, Personable, quirky, definitely smartest guy in the room type, which is a welcome change from the coaches the Dolphins have had over the last 20 years, it it seems. Um, Your your impressions? I absolutely love it. I mean, you know this has been my guy. Um, And, you know, I know – you and I both were looking and drooling over the Baldy's breakdown of, of McDaniel and his schemes out in San Francisco. He just, he seems like a guy that you cannot help but like. He seems honest. He seems straightforward. And he seems like somebody that's really going to help kickstart this offense. And he even did what we talked about initially when we talked about some of these offensive guys. And he kept Josh Boyer, um, which. I believe it was Barry Jackson came out and said that Emmanuel Ogba and a couple others on the defense talked about the job that Josh Boyer did in the second half of the season when he was the one calling plays, no matter what anybody else insinuated. Yeah, and I I tweeted about this before, but I, it, it amuses me how so many fans can be so confident about how a coach had what what they have done and what they will done or, or, or what they will do. And like we can't well even, that works. We we can't even get a straight answer on uh, <laughs> on who was calling plays last year. Like well, we got but, one for this year. Yeah, and Mike McDaniel's gonna be calling plays on offense. Josh Boyer on defense. And what what I yes and and I said from the beginning. I there were two things in this coaching search that I was looking for, and I was flexible on the rest. Number one, you have to keep your defensive strategy and intact because if you keep the same players on defense the same players that did so well in the second half of the year and you change the defensive scheme that makes no sense so i'm glad that they kept josh board people talk about vic fangio if if they had gotten vic fangio who has a better resume than josh boyer granted um in as the defensive coordinator you'd be looking at a pure three four defense a couple of four man looks and pass rush situations and a lot of zone in the secondary, which works for some teams. 
but it would not have worked for the Dolphins because they would have, have had to completely change their entire strategy there on defense. They would have, and I, I realize they weren't running that 3-4 that you're talking about at the beginning of the year, but the actual style of defense that they would play under Fangio would be very similar to what they played in the first eight games as far as more zone looks, uh, not a lot of blitzing, and we saw how well that didn't work with this personnel. Um, and, and one thing I actually want to go back to, too, that I was thinking about with Mike McDaniel that I thought was pretty cool. I, I mean, we all agree we hate the Pro Bowl at this point. But when Kyle Juszczyk scored in the Pro Bowl, um, I don't know if you saw this. I saw it, yeah. Where he and Kittle immediately hopped on FaceTime with Mike McDaniel, who was on his way out at that point, to tell him about how not only Juszczyk scored, but Kittle, when you watch the replay, actually lied to him, but basically said, and I blocked, and I blocked. You know, like they, they literally FaceTimed to tell him all about what they did in the Pro Bowl. They didn't call current coach. They didn't call. They FaceTimed immediately with Mike McDaniel when they got to the sideline, which I thought was awesome and says something to the player relationship that he develops. And when you look at McDaniel and how he kind of toes that line between being personable and it being concerning that is this guy going to be a leader of men in the locker room? That's what I go that, well, th- th- this is what I go back to. I go back to George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk and Debo Samuel, who just overwhelmingly rave about this guy. So that at least gives me uh, uh, definite hope on that. And look, if, if you're the Dolphins and you're the Dolphins players on offense, you better be smart enough to listen to the smartest guy in the room. And that's certainly Mike McDaniel. And uh, what I loved about his press conference, too, is um, – and actually one of his interviews that he said is they were talking about, he was talking to, he was asked, what is your best trait? What is the thing that you bring? He said, adaptability. And that's exactly right. And that's proven. I mean, you look at, and he, as his, as his example, he talked about RG three, where when he was in Washington and, you know, they had never run this type of offense that they had. And they asked him why, why that they changed it like that. And he said, it had to be done. Like that's the exact, correct answer there so no I, I I'm very um, very excited about this guy being here yeah no and I, I mean I like the fact any of our longtime listeners know when we've had to go through this before God we've been doing this through a lot of coaching searches haven't we um, the thing that's always come out of my mouth when looking at coaches and one of the reasons why I'm like we, we got to just get off the the, the, the cycle here it was always I wanted somebody that adapted to the skill sets of their players, schemed to meet their strengths and, and hide their weaknesses. And that's everything we see from him, but with the bonus of he thinks outside the box in ways like and I and I always go back to this one right or always, it's been a few weeks, uh, with with McDaniel. The inter- the interview he had after a game in San Francisco where they asked him about the fact that he pitches the ball straight backwards on dives and counterplays a lot. And how the, the, you know, the reporter basically was like, you know, typically when you do that, you see the, the, them go on a sweep. And he's like, you answered your own question for why? Because we're taking the linebackers out of the play. And the fact that 
every tenth of a second you hesitate the defense or take them off their spot is further advantage to your offense, offensive scheme and offensive players. And it's more and more chance for you to do something positive on offense. And, and he's doing that in spades. And the other cool thing, too, which, which came out in the Baldies breakdown, was they will have different motions and shifts on a week-to-week basis depending upon the opponent. Um, and that's the one thing for me that has me a little hesitant with Gasicki because we saw him struggle at times with shifts and motions this past year. Right. Yeah. Gasicki, that'll be interesting because I mean, look, and, and part of the attraction with Mike McDaniel is the adaptability. And I think Gasicki at the end of the day will be too talented to not have someone like McDaniel carve out a role for him. I, I have a hard time seeing them have Kasiki just walk, but he's uh, honestly, certainly not. You shifting the wide said. receiver. Well, it's practically what he is now, and yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I I think that's about right. And if that's the case, then I think Devonte Parker really does become very expendable because there is some overlap there, uh, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. But um, yeah, so so we'll see on ends. We'll see what they do at the tight end position uh, uh, overall. But what I like and keeping Josh Boyer in this defense together, bringing in Mike McDaniel and have him call plays. I want on offense and on defense systems that work, that are proven to work. On defense, when you look at what the Dolphins have done for the last two years on defense, for the most part, let's say the last year and a half, um, I mean, a, a year of the last year and a half on defense, the Dolphins have just been dominant. Yeah, the first six or seven games of, of last year were bad, but um, you, you have to be hopeful that the Dolphins are going to continue this because they're returning basically the same personnel. And then offensively, we've seen how Mike McDaniel is, has um, um, called plays here. And uh, he did, according to a 49ers beat writer <clears throat> uh, for NBC, Mike McDaniel was calling the play, creating the play, and then sending it into Kyle Shanahan who basically gave it the approval before sending it to the quarterback. So that's to say that he's not calling plays. It's like, it's like preparing a meal, cutting up all the ingredients, putting it together, but because you didn't actually put it in the oven, then you didn't actually cook the meal. Yeah, you did cook the meal. So um, yeah, I'm excited. Definitely excited. One thing I'm not excited about Zach Thomas snubbed again. The, I mean, the, the Hall of Fame's a joke anyway. I mean, look, I stopped watching the Hall of Fame uh, or paying attention really to the Hall of Fame um, or taking it as personally uh, when they put Terrell Davis in. Because basically what that said is you can just come in the NFL at 21, um, play well for three years and retire at 25, and you can make the Hall of Fame. That's a joke. And Tony Vaselli is not too far off of that. He had three or four great years, and he was great. But I don't care. You've got to do it for longer than that. So Tony Baselli's in. Sam Mills is in. Leroy Butler, Richard Seymour, Bryant Young, Cliff Branch, Art McNally, and Dick Vermeil. Other than Dick Vermeil and Richard Seymour, I pretty much threw up at the rest of these guys here. Um, Leroy Butler. Leroy Butler had four Pro Bowls in his career. He was maybe for a year or two thought of as, as a top five safety. What a joke. You, you know what part of the problem is with this? It's it's a it's a vote by folks that a lot of them weren't even 
in the business at the time that some of these guys played. And if you were on a team that, I mean, like if you were on the Patriots, you've got a big advantage when it comes to these votes. Um, mainly because you were playing in primetime games so often, nationally televised games so often, that there's a certain familiarity with like, God, I watched this guy dominate week in and week out, as opposed to like, oh, I caught a couple of games, they, you know, and I watched the highlights before I voted. Like, it just it just doesn't do the same thing. And I think that's where the Dolphins get hosed at times, is they didn't have a lot of nationally televised games. They didn't go to the playoffs a lot um, during these guys' careers. It, it's They end up getting the short end of the stick, as do a few others, and then it's still a popularity contest on top of that. And we haven't even had continuity as far as our, our writers in South Florida go, other than Omar Kelly, who hates half the team anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I think part of it, too, is that the Dolphins haven't been to even a conference championship game since well before even Zach Thomas was in the NFL. That's part of it, too. And mm-hmm. and the Dolphins should blame themselves for that. But these are individual performances. Let's let's be honest here. And when you talk about Peyton Manning thinks this guy is the best defender, he smartest defender he ever played against. And you have people on stage, but Kevin Mawai and, and a couple of other guys on the Hall of Fame stage who are clamoring for him to get in and still not getting in. It's a joke. But then again, it, it, you're not taken seriously, at least by me, when you let Terrell Davis in. So, well, um, you know, Terrell Davis was a byproduct of the Mike Shanahan system, which if only we – oh, we do have a coach from that tree now. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And that's uh, uh, the hope and the expectation is that he creates a running back and mm-hmm. the Dolphins revolve around that and that – creates spacing and time for Tua. So looking forward to that. Uh, going back to the coaches, Paul, you know, I, I, I liked that Mike McDaniel looked at this coaching staff and didn't just blow the whole thing up. That's what a lot of coaches do. He came in, he sat down with everyone. Some are gone, some are here. They kept six coaches. And I like the six that they kept, except for one. Um, Eric, Eric Studsville, a running back. Defensive coordinator Josh Boyer that we talked about, defensive line coach Austin Clark, line linebacker Anthony Campanelli, cornerbacks coach uh, Charles Burks. That was a big retention there. And finally, one I did not dis- or did not agree with, and that's Danny Crossman, the special teams coordinator. I, you know, especially teams unit hasn't been terrible, but you know. I mean, you've allowed a lot of big touchdown returns here, several over the last couple of years. So I'm not thrilled with keeping Crossman, but the the rest I'm I'm definitely happy that they kept. Yeah, and I mean, like we've said about other stuff, who knows who controlled what uh, throughout the process. So, you know, maybe with Crossman. The one I really like is I like having Welker here because there's a lot of folks that respect what he's already become as a coach. And on top of that, Welker was a player that did more with less as far as athleticism goes. Um, And if Welker can rub off on Jalen Waddell as far as helping him learn some of the sneaky tricks that even with Welker's athleticism, he was able to be as dominant as, as he was at times. Um. I, I only see this helping Waddle tremendously as far as that goes. Yeah. And one of the things that came out this week, too, 
in one of the interviews was was uh, coach brought up the yards after catch out in San Francisco, and they've basically led the league what the last three years I think it is four, as far as like yards after catch goes. So right, could be interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm so pumped. Welker's here. Um, first, he could. <laughs> I mean, it's not his fault he got traded to New England and then went on to catch 672 passes over the next six years with the Patriots. Um, and Wes Welker, what I like about him, and, and I, I have to think he's bringing this to coaching, is when you're undrafted, small and slow out of Texas Tech, you have to be a perfect route runner. Your timing has to be perfect. Your route running has to be perfect. And that's what I think he brings as a wide receivers coach. We'll see about that. Um, but someone who understands timing and spacing is important. Also, Joe, uh, Joe Embry, new tight ends coach. Um, again, someone George Kittle was very, very complimentary on. Uh, so uh, I like that hire, too. Uh, gone are George Godsey. He's took a tight end. He's now the, the tight ends coach for the Ravens. And Rob Leonard also went to the Ravens as the outside linebacker coach. Um, the Dolphins are undecided on right now. Um, Lamuel Jean Jean Pierre, the offensive line coach, was a little bit surprising to me that he hasn't been he wasn't one of the first ones kicked out. But I, I don't know that that one that one baffles me a little. There's no rush there, and and I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but there are rumors that tie Miami to Atlanta's assistant offensive line coach, who I believe played with Flo or Jesus played or played with Mike McDaniel back at Yale decades ago. Uh, okay. Okay. So, we can put a pin in the offensive line piece. Um, one thing I will say, I know a lot of folks have brought up Mike Munchak, and I love Mike Munchak. He is a great offensive line coach, was an even better player, but he just doesn't fit the blocking scheme that's required of Mike McDaniel's offense at this point in time in the offense that he'd be looking to build here. So it just it just doesn't make any sense at the moment. Right, and it's not that same style like you said i mean it's it munchak would have been a great hire will when brian flores was here yes. because it's more of a power blocking type of offensive line this is completely different and that's what you're going to see here with the dolphins offensive line before it was the biggest ugliest nastiest guy uh at, as offensive lineman now this this scheme what we can definitely say for sure is going to prioritize athleticism and zone blocking as opposed to man blocking and size. So I'll tell you this, Solomon Kinley will never play another down from for the Miami Dolphins. You can take that to the bank. It's possible, but one of the things, I know you say that about size, but there was an interview with McDaniel, I believe, before he got hired by the Dolphins, where he was talking about offensive linemen. And one of the things he said is like, God, he goes, if we could have all of them be 6'8", 400 pounds, like... That would be the ideal scenario in any world. So we'll we'll see. I mean, he said he's already sat and broke down every single offensive lineman and analyzed every single offensive lineman from game tape over the past year or two um, that, that is on this team. So I'm very intrigued uh, to see how that works out. Yeah, me too. And, and I'll tell you how it's going to work out. Uh, Solomon Kinley will never play another down as a Dolphin again because he is fat and can't move. So that's my analysis of him. It was my analysis when he came out of Georgia. So if he couldn't cut it in a Brian Flores offensive line scheme, he ain't going to cut it here with, with uh, McDaniel. 
Well, um, let's, let's not talk about Flo's offensive line scheme. You know, Matt Skura couldn't cut it. Um, what's his face? that went to the Raiders. Uh, Jermaine Illuminor couldn't cut it. Um, and and several. So they went. They went from they went from cut to below average guards for other teams. But hey, yeah, we we, we could have used that below average. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah, Robert Lund in the chat said Robert Hunt fits the zone blocking scheme, I think. You know, he's a bigger guy. Obviously, uh, athleticism isn't his game. It's going to be interesting to see if he plays right guard or right tackle now because right these guards have to move inside, and Hunt might make more sense at right tackle. We'll see. Um, it's good to know that he can play both. Uh, wrapping up the coaching, Curtis Johnson, uh, honestly, offensive coordinator, I don't really care. It's it's going to be Mike McDaniel's calling plays. This is Mike McDaniel's system. He just needs somebody that's going to help him out. So two names, Curtis Johnson, the Saints wide receiver coach. Um, he was the Saints wide receiver coach for five years, uh, 2006 to 2011, worked with Marcus Colston, was Tulane's head coach for a while, um, went to the Bears for a year as a wide receiver coach, and was a senior offensive assistant and wide receiver coach from 2017 to 2021. Charles London, what interests me about him is that he was a running backs coach for nine years for Penn State, the Houston Texans, and the Chicago Bears, and then he moved to be a quarterbacks coach last year for the Falcons. So, obviously, a wide range of experience, so we'll see who gets hired there. But, Paul, we've got um, we're a little pressed for time this morning, so let's get into our draft talk here. Uh, so, here's how this is going to work, okay? We're eyeing, and before I, I say this, if not for a five-play, 86-yard drive by the 49ers in Week 18 against the Rams, the Dolphins would be picking 17th. They're picking 29th now. So, thanks darn. a lot, Mike McDaniel. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, no kidding. He gets 100% of the credit on that. Uh, <laughs> no, but so this is what we're going to do. We're going to pick five players that we are eyeing here for the NFL, for, for that for that pick at 29. Right now, as we stand, we haven't had the combine yet, so it's a way too change. early list. It's our way too early list. Guys, we're just eyeing. We haven't not taken a huge deep dive, but uh, so but to be fair, we've left 16 players out of this because we don't see them being there at 29. One could fall, never know. But the guys who were not included that we can look at for 29 in positional order. Wide receiver Drake London from USC, wide receiver Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, wide receiver Jamison Williams from Alabama, even though he tours ACL, unlikely to be there. Offensive tackles, Evan Neal from Alabama. Um, Iki Iguanu from uh, North Carolina State, Charles Cross from Mississippi State, center Tyler Lindenbaum for uh, Linderbaum from Iowa, uh, edge players Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau are expected to go in the top five, as well as uh, George Karloftis from Purdue. Uh, also leaving out Nicobe Dean from Georgia, the linebacker, Devin Lloyd, the linebacker from Utah, Cornerbacks, Derek Stingley from LSU and Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati and safety, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. Those are the players that we left out there. So, Paul, throwing it to you first on that with, with the twenty, with the Dolphins picking at 29, who, who comes in at number five on your list? Number five. Ooh, I got to start there. Shoot. Um, <laughs> I'd probably have to say Chris Olave. Uh, he's a guy I really like, and I do want Miami to look at the wide receiver position in this draft. I don't know that they need to early in this one, but I'd have to say Olave probably would be number five for me. Yeah, I, uh, I Olave was close for me. Uh, his game is separation, and that certainly would, would lend well to Tua. And 
I, I left him off because he's a little bit on the smaller side, but that that may not matter as as, as it approaches. He was he was close for me there. Um, the, the guy I had at number five here is, and I didn't love it, but uh, Kenyon Green from Texas A and M. Um, you know, I watched several games of him in a row, and the funny thing is, he was at left tackle one game. The next game, he was at right tackle. Then he was at guard. He's best fit as a guard, um, but you put him anywhere on the interior line, and and, and he's going to be a really solid player for you. Um, Real, uh, he would be a safe pick, but I also think it's important the Dolphins get two free agent offensive linemen, preferably tackles, uh, as well as one offensive lineman in the first couple of rounds here. I think they need three new starters there on that line to make the rest of this offense work. Coming in at number four is a, a name a lot of people probably haven't heard of. He's shooting up draft boards. Todd McShay actually had him in the first round of his mock recently, and, and I think this is going to be one of the bigger stories heading into the draft, and that's uh, UTS, uh, UTSA cornerback Tariq Woolen. Six foot three, 205 pounds, great tackler, long cornerback, and I'm going to say again and again, this defense, Josh Boyer's defense does not work if you don't have great cornerbacks. This guy can play man-to-man, and because he's so raw, he's not as threatening toward a Byron Jones or an Xavier Howard early on. So I think it would make a great, great fit. If he goes to the combine and runs in the four threes or the four fours at six, three, two Oh five, you're going to see him shoot up probably in the middle of the, to the middle of the first round. So that's somebody I'm keeping an eye on. Paul, who comes in at four and three on your list? Number four for me is going to be Trent McDuffie out of Washington. I don't expect him to be available. He's a little undersized. I think he could come in and steal the slot corner spot from Nick Needham and Justin Coleman. Um, I think he allowed, I believe it was 16 receptions on roughly 35, 36 targets for 111 total yards last year. Uh, He would be a beautiful fit in this scheme. I I do think he probably goes in the top 20, but if he's available, you've got to snatch this guy up. It's, he could definitely make this scheme look better. Um, as far as number three for me goes, I don't love it. I really, really don't. I don't love taking a running back in the first round. Uh, I think there are running backs that could affect Miami a lot better and be a better fit potentially later on. But Kenneth Walker, he had such a dominant season th- this past year that uh, if he's sitting there, it's hard not to take him, and he, he should be there. Right. Uh Walker went to Wake Forest for a couple of years, and then this past year with Michigan State ran for over 1,600 yards, was a Heisman finalist. That's going to be one of the more interesting debates here because on one hand, part of the reason you hire Mike McDaniel is because you don't need to spend a first or a second round pick at running back. But we've gone down that road the last couple of years and regretted it where the Dolphins didn't snatch up a running back. I think Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall – are going to come into the league, and in a system like this, I think they're they're immediately in the driver's seat for rookie of the year. Wouldn't you spend a late first or a late second on that? I, I mean, I think you might have to, but I, I also see the other side of the argument too. Maybe you look at Raheem Mostert bringing him into Miami uh, from San Francisco, where he had a lot of success and ran for over five yards of carry. So yeah, um, the rest of the people on my list are going to be well, offensive linemen. Before um, we move on, because you mentioned Raheem Mostert, a couple of guys. I mean. Um, 
McDaniel's tied to a few free agents out there, guys like Brita, who didn't look good for Miami before, but did phenomenally in his scheme. Uh, Devontae Freeman. Um, and then on top of that, James Cook out of Georgia is almost the ideal running back in this draft for a Mike McDaniel style of offense, and I think he would thrive in that better than any other offense out there because an offense that's based on motions and shifts and deception fits his skill set well. You, we, when they lined James Cook up at wide receiver for Georgia, he was somebody that looked like he had always played wide receiver and was running crisp routes and, and beating some of the top corners in the nation from 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 out there. And, and he received so well that you could really do some fun things with him and you could probably grab James Cook in round three easily. So that that's where one of the reasons why the Kenneth Walker thing, he's the more complete back, but sometimes it's about the more complete fit. See, I, I think James Cook is a fit in this offense in the, the versatility that he brings. Mm-hmm. But the thing that attracts me with Kenneth Walker and with Brees Hall at running back is in this type of, of offense, the, the goal is to, on, on run plays typically, to stretch the field or to to have a wide zone running concept. So the running back is going wide, getting the handoff, planting his foot, one cut, and going upfield. And Walker and Hall, I think, could be special in that role. And if the whole point is to build around the running game, do you really want to start, even though the system should take should make you better, do you really want to start building your running game that needs to be dominant around a Raheem Mostert again? Or do you want to really get a Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker who could come in and p- potentially win rookie of the year. That's that's the question that needs to be asked. I'm going to play the trust me card on the mid-round running back in James Cook, Cat. I'm going to play it this time. Well, you can do that, uh, and I don't disagree with you on it. Um, my thing, too, is is you can also draft two running backs. Oh, yeah. I know we're both, both proponents of. So third on my list is Zion Johnson from Boston College. At the Senior Bowl, he played center, he played guard. He's just solid across the board and is a great fit here in this type of offense because uh, he can move. He's not, you know, he's not as agile as like a Tyler Linderbaum, but still can move very, very well um, and, and on, on those trap plays, on those runs. I, you put him in, I think you're going to get a solid 10-year starter. And one of the comparisons that I saw from uh, one of these publications was actually Lakin Tomlinson, who's going to be a free agent guard who was with J- um, uh, Mike McDaniel the last four years there in uh, in, in San Francisco. So th- that could be a good fit there right away. Uh, number two is, and I don't love the fit, but I've got to put him in there, and that's Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Um, again, he's not the most athletic guy. And so I, I wonder if McDaniel would start out drafting somebody who's not a great fit for the offensive line. But I, I do think he's a plug-and-play offensive tackle with his size, with his nastiness. And you would hope that they would be able to to work that out. He may have just enough athleticism to be a really good pass-protecting offensive tackle, but also get out in space a little bit. It wouldn't be a specialty, but it get out in space a little bit. Yeah, I like Trevor Penning a lot. He could kick inside the guard potentially too, um, and he just missed my list. But for me, number two, you've already given all the good reasons for it, but Zion Johnson. Um, he 
would be my number one, depending on how the board falls. But it it's I want Miami to get the offensive tackles in free agency. I think it's there. I think they've got the cash to do so. And really, I mean, we've got to remember too. We just have to upgrade from mediocre to bad to good or decent even. And it's such an upgrade for for Tua and for the running game that it, it's it's not even funny. And you, you add to that the schemes that Mike McDaniel draws up, and he's also going to put these offensive linemen at an advantage too. So I would so definitely who comes go in at number, Johnson. Who comes in at number one on your list? Number one. This is, believe it or not, an utter luxury pick at a position that we don't need. Um, but if he were to fall, the ability, athleticism, and uniqueness that I've seen from this guy um, is just off the charts. And it's just something that you just can't find. And, and I think this guy's athletic enough that there are even scenarios where you could have him and Raekwon Davis on the field. And, and this is going over the defensive line. Um, Jordan Davis out of Georgia. No big man that's that big at 6'6", 340, 350 pounds has any business being able to move like Jordan Davis does. If you go back and you watch the national championship game, there were game there were plays where he was chasing things down to the sideline. Um, you put three guys blocking him, three big dudes from an, from any school in the, in the SEC, and he's moving them and destroying things in the backfield. Um, just like I think he's got a lot more pass rush potential than he's given credit for at this point, and and I think he's only scratched the surface. So you put him in a fun scheme where where linemen are on on ice skates, not knowing who's coming and who's not. And good lord, he could just wreck things and, and really help take this defense up even more. He was tempting for me to put on here because um, you could potentially, if you had Raquan Davis and Jordan and uh, Jordan Davis, uh, you could legitimately play a two man front in some looks because of the space that they take up. And, and the blockers. <laughs> yeah, it, right. And you that would be something a, a lot different. The other part of that too is one thing, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a best player available guy too, but I also say too, are you drafting, are you spending a first round pick to bring somebody in and now you're taking a really good player off the field? And it, is that worth it, especially at a defensive tackle spot? But for Jordan Davis, it might be. I mean, I will say too that even with his size, I don't think he is great at using his hands. I think right now at Georgia, he's just pushing around 18 and 19-year-olds right now at the guard spots. So will he be as dominant in the pros? But he's just so massive and moves so well for that. That's that's something to to keep an eye out. And a lot of teams are not going to want Jordan Davis because they, they will demand that they get a defensive tackle who is able day one to have speed and rush the passer at the defensive tackle spot inside the dolphins defense is different. Um, They want those defensive linemen to occupy blockers and there aren't a lot of defenses like that in the NFL. So that's why I think Jordan Davis is going to end up falling probably to number 29. And yeah, he would certainly certainly be tempting for anybody at the end of the first round. Um, Bernard Raymond from central Michigan comes in at number one on my list. 
He's a foreign exchange student from Austria, great athlete, former tight end, has gained 60 pounds over the last couple of years, and has a might be a little bit more of a project than Penning, but is a much better scheme fit. He's athletic and can get to, to certain spots. So if, if we're looking at a tackle who could be available that athletically is the best fit, then McDaniel can look at and say, hey, I can get him on the right tracks quickly. I think Bernard Raymond may be that guy. So well, I'm sure these opinions will change a lot here, Paul, in the next um, several weeks and months. A few other names that, that were mentioned here in the chat, um, draft prospects that, that I've, I've taken a look at. Trey McBride to uh, uh, the tight end out of Colorado State, uh, King Short mentioned, uh, and, and um, Clement as well. Uh, if they go away from Gusecki, this looks like a – this would look like the perfect tight end fit in a Mike McDaniel offense. Uh, he's a bi- he's big. He's a great blocker. Not the best separator, but looks the most like George Kittle in this type of class. So he's someone to keep an eye on. Uh, Damian Pierce was also mentioned. He's an interesting guy. Um, out of Florida, only carried the ball 100 times this past year, but had 16 touchdowns. Why he didn't get the ball more is probably a reason their coach got fired. Um, so he's somebody in the middle rounds I'm definitely looking at out of Florida. I like him more than James Cook. Yeah, no, I mean, it, two of the guys that I was staring at, and in, in as the 49ers kept winning, I kept getting more and more upset, were, were Devin Lloyd and N'Kobe Dean because Miami does need a linebacker in this draft. Landon Roberts won't be back. I'd be utterly shocked if Landon Roberts is back. I think Landon Roberts will probably go back to New England or or possibly even the Jets. Um, but as far as, as, as that linebacker position goes, it, it's those two won't be available at 29, short of a, a gas mask video. Um, but I would love to have them in. And then uh, there are a lot of sneaky good tight ends in this draft class, like you were just talking about. And... There's a few that could also translate to being really above-average fullbacks, uh, which I think Miami's going to probably look to utilize if they have the opportunity. Um, so yeah, we unfortunately have to talk about fullbacks at some point. So uh, I, I'm, I might I might just just tag somebody else in to, to do that show with Paul, but uh, we'll we'll see. I can uh, I'll sit and talk fullbacks without taking a breath. Yeah, I'll be yeah yeah while you sleep be, on camera. It'll be a 12-minute show. Uh, <laughs> We'll see. But we're going to have a lot of draft talk. We're going to have a lot of free agency talk here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll we'll be back here on Saturday morning. Uh, and you can always catch the replay on YouTube as well. Uh, that's going to do it for our breakdown of a lot of things going on. Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins coaches, as well as dipping our toe into the NFL draft. I'm Brian Cat NFL on Twitter. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all of our social media outlets, as well as finfanatic.com and the fan-sided network. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side.